Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. Are you glad that his arms are open wide? I'm so glad you've chosen to gather with us, that we get to celebrate together today, that we get to celebrate Father's Day, because there are a lot of other ways you could have chosen for celebrating Father's Day, but to take the time to praise and worship our Heavenly Father, well, I think that is absolutely the best possible choice we could have made to start this day, because there's going to be plenty of time when we're all said and done after I preach for an hour and a half. Now... As much as we'd like to think of ourselves all as little miracles, none of us would be here if God hadn't uh, given us earthly fathers. Is that true? Absolutely. And so we give thanks for our dads. And there's something special about being called dad. I love being called dad. But the man you may call dad may not be your biological father. It might be a stepdad, an adoptive dad, a foster dad. Or it might even be somebody outside of your father who you think of as your dad. Someone who's had a great impact on you. And sometimes we use the term father in ways that are indicating other things. Such as we think of Henry Ford as the father of the modern automobile. Or Charles Babbage as the father of modern computing. Or, in my own personal experience, we think of one man as the father of naval nuclear propulsion, Admiral Hyman G. Rickover. Okay? Now, when I think of what the impact that he had on me, it really uh, had a way. Because one example of how he established all that was by having extremely high standards. And I would never want that to be changed, but it's interesting on how he went about it. For one example, when he, was off, when he was interviewing the officers who were entering into the Navy nuclear propulsion program, he would have a chair sitting in front of his desk that you had to sit in, and he cut the front legs off two inches shorter, so you had to sit there. Because the whole goal was, how will you respond to an uncomfortable situation? And then, if he didn't like the answers that you, told, that you gave him to one of his questions... He might turn around and say, you see that closet over there? Go sit in there. And then he'd have you sit there to think of that. Well, he went on and interviewed the next candidate. And then he'd call you back out so he had an opportunity. Now, when I think of Admiral Rickover, I certainly think of integrity. I think of standards. Absolutely. But what about godliness? Well, that's not necessarily the term that comes to my mind when I think of the father of Navy nuclear propulsion. And so I'm thankful that my Heavenly Father didn't leave me with only that kind of an example of being a father. When my dad passed away three years ago, I was blessed to have the opportunity to give a eulogy at his funeral. And I wasn't looking at dad and talking about his standards. I wasn't talking about dad based on his ingenuity. He could do anything with copper wire and a set of needle-nose pliers but it gave me the chance to talk about his character, the fruit that only came from the Holy Spirit in his life, my dad's godliness. And so I'm thankful for that example in my life, and I pray that I can be that for my own children as well. And that's also why, as your pastors, we felt that it would be fitting that we would continue our current sermon series because of how well today's topic really fits into Father's Day. You see, within our annual theme of hope for everyday life, 
we've moved from finding our hope in times of suffering to now seeking the practical application of finding hope for fruitful service. And this series has brought us to a focused look at 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7. Here's what they say. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. And so that's why as we've been walking through this series, we've been summarizing each week our study so that we would complete the phrase, making every effort to add to your saving faith, blank. And two weeks ago, we began by looking to add knowledge, by finding four truths about Solomon's life that would help us to grow in fruitful service through knowledge. And last week, David helped us to unpack truth from Job's life that would find three ways to grow in the fruit of perseverance. So for today, for Father's Day, we're going to explore growing the fruit of godliness. Now, to find our example of godliness, we scoured the Bible, looking for examples of godly fathers. We identified many examples. Now, none of them perfect. We found Abraham. We found Isaac. We found King David. But we thought, what if we looked to a different example of a father? Not a father by biology or family, not a father by invention, but rather a spiritual father. One whose desire is to help those he is leading to grow in the fruit of godliness. This brought us to the life of Paul. Now, based on God's word, I don't believe Paul was ever married. And I don't think that he had any children, but he had many spiritual children whom he sought to raise up in the Lord. And in doing so, he stressed this trait of godliness many times. Paul placed a great deal of importance on the characteristic of godliness. Take a look at what some of his writings to young pastors, whom Paul would describe as his sons. To Timothy, to Timothy he would write, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And then in warning him of influences in the world, Paul said, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Or, Maybe not all to Timothy, but to a young pastor, Titus, who Paul describes as his true child in a common faith. Paul again encouraged him, saying, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So we can see this consistency of the message through God's Word. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it from Peter, and we see it from Paul, calling us all to make every effort to add to our saving faith godliness. So now, looking at the life of Paul as revealed in his letters to the early church, we're going to find examples of godliness even in a sinful man that can help us to find three actions of making every effort to add to your saving faith godliness. Now, one last step before we open 
the letters of Paul to be able to see his example, I think it's important that we have a common understanding of what defining godliness. The Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology defines godliness as a reverence for God and a life of holiness in the world. In the Old Testament, the Lord called the people of Israel to be set apart from the nations that they might be holy as the Lord is holy. And the Lord charged fathers to teach their sons to live a life of godliness. And this same calling is carried forward to Christians, including Christian fathers. Okay, To live a life of reverent awareness of God's sovereignty over every aspect of our lives. And now, in knowing God and loving God, we have the opportunity to reflect the attributes of God, His attributes as a father. And so, we do so looking at godliness. Now, there's much that we can say on godliness, but today we're going to focus on the example of Paul's life as revealed through his letters. In this case, we'll be looking at the letter of Philippians. So, if you will, open with me to Philippians chapter 3. That's on page 155 if you're using the Bibles in your chair, 155 in the back section, as we see how Paul describes the goal of his life as he made every effort to add to his saving faith godliness. This is a Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. It's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even though in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attend to the resurrection from the dead Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude And if anything, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep by living that same standard to which we've attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk 
of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into, conform, into the conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. It's a lot to unpack. But as we unpack le- Paul's letter, we'll find three actions that we can take in order to make every effort to add godliness to our lives. You see, to be godly, to reflect the attributes of God, we must first ensure that we know God, as Paul did. We revere God for who He is. And as such, our first action to make every effort to add to our saving faith godliness, our first action will be to establish a proper view of God's plan for salvation. Now, there are many ways that we could go exploring this. We could start reading right from the beginning of the Bible and finish all the way to the end, but that might be more than we can cover today. We could also look at the early sermons as recorded in the book of Acts. In fact, we would see in Acts 2 and 3 in Peter's first sermons, in Acts 7 as Stephen shared the gospel beginning with our father Abraham, we would even see that it was there where Paul, then called Saul, heard the truth of God's plan for salvation, though he didn't respond to it at that moment. And because of what he heard, we should then also consider what Paul believed. Because we can see the transformation of what Paul believed and the impact on how he lived. Coming to know Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul had a different understanding of mankind and a different understanding of what it means to live with godliness based on that interaction. And through the truth, he came to know that all men begin as enemies of Christ. You see, from our passage today, Paul tells us the way in which he used to think was leading to godliness. Remember when he said, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. He saw it in his own work. Paul believed that his path to godliness came from his personal obedience to the law. If only we could keep God's commands, being righteous in the law, then this is how we would grow in godliness. And that's how we would have to try to find favor in the Lord. But that was the old example of Paul's life. What about the example in our lives? How do you believe, what do you believe makes you a good person? How do you seek to make yourself an example to others? Is it based solely on what you do? Thinking that God will notice me because of the good that I do. Is that right? Is that where we need to be? Is that how God actually sees us? Well, for Paul, and all that he believed he was doing for Yahweh, on the road to Damascus, Paul saw that bright light of Christ. It knocked him to the ground, and he heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why? Why are you persecuting me? And so without seeing the truth for God's plan for salvation, like Paul, we would begin with a wrong view of ourselves. 
and we would consider ourselves to be inherently good. We might even believe that we can make up for the things we do wrong as some form of penance before God. But the truth we need to see is what Paul later teaches in his letter to the Romans. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands and none who seeks God. Our sinful, self-absorbed nature separates us from Christ because our sin deserves the penalty of death, a penalty that we cannot pay for ourselves. And our good deeds, our godly acts, well, they can never be enough to pay for our debt. Our works are not enough. As we consider what Paul believed, we too will come to the conclusion that I have nothing of value to offer my Lord. Even the things that I hold most dear, God, I've been a father for 30 years. I have five children. That's pretty good, right? God, I've done my best to provide for my family. That counts for something, right? I come to church every Sunday. Okay, most every Sunday. Well, the Sundays I don't have something else on my calendar. God, I'm here today. That counts, right? Consider how Paul saw himself. Circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite, a Benjamite, a Hebrew, and as for the law, blameless. But Paul came to understand that none of that was enough. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. Paul's old thinking, his old thinking that I can be enough if I work hard enough and I'm godly enough, we have to consider Paul's new thinking. My works are not enough. And as such, we would see there. If we left at that only that truth all by itself, there'd be no hope. But thankfully, he, we, Paul doesn't stay there. When we consider what Paul believed, we can have hope. Hope that's centered on the work of another. Hope that's centered on the work of Christ at the cross. Because the cross is the sufficient payment. God's plan from even before the beginning of time, all pointed to the work of one man. And, God, and Paul continued as he told us exactly what he believed when he said, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but from that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God, from God on the basis of faith. God's plan for salvation has always run through a singular point in all of human history. As compared to having each one of us have to go on our own journey of making things right with God, we were all lost. As he says here, we were all enemies of Christ. And yet, while we were still his enemies, Christ willingly carried the cross up his journey, up the path to Golgotha, so that he might fulfill God's salvation plan. His life for mine. And in return, he only asked that we would declare him Lord, and that we'd believe in his death on the cross, that it was sufficient, and that God raised him from the dead as a proof that there was nothing left for you and me to add. His life for mine, simply on a basis of faith. Fathers, if you're here today and you're still working 
on your own salvation, if you're seeking a godliness that depends on your strength rather than the work of the cross, consider this Father's Day gift from our Heavenly Father. It's not a new tie and it's not a golf shirt. Our Heavenly Father is offering grace. He's offering the gift of salvation, which we do not deserve, and He packaged along with that grace the gift of eternal life. And as such, the power of the cross does not just address our past sins, even our present sins with the power of the cross is sufficient for all the sins of the world in all time. And so for those who receive the gift of grace comes also the gift of life as we too are resurrected from the dead. And thus, like the example of Paul, considering what we believe, we can fix our eyes on the eternal. When Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so with an understanding of God's plan for salvation, considering what Paul believed, and now with our eyes on the eternal, we can see that through the work, though the work of salvation is complete, we still have work to do making every effort to add to our saving faith godliness. And so I want to challenge us today. I want to challenge us with several actions to help us to be able to grow in fruitful service. So for example, I said our first action step is to establish a proper view of God's salvation plan. Do you know God's plan of salvation well enough to be able to share it with a family member, a neighbor, a co-worker in a matter of less than five minutes? Here's one way to grow in that. This week, I want to encourage you to study the words of the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 that he boldly proclaimed on the day of Pentecost and then write out the simple steps of God's salvation plan that Peter lays out in his first sermon. And then I want you to take that, that list and read it for yourself each day, enforcing, reinforcing the gospel in your life And then practice teaching it to someone else. Find a family member. Find a church family member that you can sit down and ask them, can I just go over this with you? And then practice teaching God's salvation plan to another. All to prepare yourself so that when God opens the door, you can share the good news of salvation clearly with those who God will place in your life. And then, as a reminder of these truths that we need to stand upon, That's part of why we're giving you these tokens, okay? Man, I want you to carry this with you. I want you to keep this in your pocket as a reminder. I want you to look at this side with the Habitat logo as a reminder, remembering that the house that was built, well, that's simply an illustration because being built on a firm foundation is all about our lives being built on the foundation of Christ's work. And anyone who builds on a different foundation is building in vain. But the one who builds upon Christ, God's salvation plan in Christ, builds upon a firm foundation. So carry this with you as a reminder. Each time you stick your hand in your pocket for your keys, you see this. Remember the foundation that we're called to live upon. But Paul's example didn't just stop at his preaching and teaching. It was also lived out in his life. And as such, we can find our second action item to make every effort to add to our saving faith godliness, that second action is we are called to pursue Christ 
above all. Now, there are many things in our lives that have great value to us in this world. We're celebrating one of them today, right? Happy Father's Day. We value a father who pours into us and loves us. As husbands, we value our marriages. As fathers, we value our children. But Paul's helping us also see that there is something of far greater value even than all of these things. He says, more than that, I count all things, all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And just as we see the value of knowing God's salvation plan, we can see Paul's example, the surpassing value of knowing Christ, my Lord. And to seek that value, we then also have to take action to seek to know Christ. Now, earlier I said we need to fix our eyes on the eternal, and Jesus helps us to see what that means in his own prayer to his Father. Jesus, before going to the cross, prayed with the knowledge that he was about to go there. And it was time to go to the cross. It was time for him to fulfill God's plan for salvation. And so he chose to pray for his disciples. And he prayed that his Father would be glorified through the gift of eternal life, which he then describes for them, saying, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We are called to seek to know Christ, the one whom the Father has sent. To love Christ is to know Christ. To know Christ is to know his teaching and his commands. Look at even what he said to his disciples. If you love me, follow my commands. And so if we are to pursue Christ, if we are to be his disciples, ask yourself, where will we look to know his commands? Peter calls us to seek the true knowledge of him who called us by his glory and excellence when he said, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. There it is again. Everything we need. Where? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. The knowledge that has been revealed to us through the inerrant, an authoritative word of God in order that we might fulfill the Great Commission for ourselves as well as in drawing others to Christ. And then as we come to know Christ, in order to add godliness to our lives, we must choose to value Christ's purpose in our life. God clearly spells out our purpose in His Word in a number of ways showing that we are to be His representative. We are to reflect Him on this earth in a way that brings Him glory through our choices which are pleasing to God. And we find these truths and commands revealed all the way from Genesis through the letters of Paul and Peter. And Paul spelled it out even further how we might value Christ's purpose in our lives when he was teaching Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age. To Titus, Paul pointed him to the value before he gave him a to-do list. He said, for the grace of God has appeared. That's the grace, the grace which is Christ's purpose in our life. Then he said that Christ appeared that he might live a sinless life. He lived so that he might die an undeserved death. And he died 
bringing salvation to all men. That was Christ's purpose in our life. We have to value that. If I truly value His purpose in my life, then we should see the overflowing implications for everything else. Because by valuing Christ, we will allow Christ to change you. Paul recognizes that not all Christians walk in this way, and he challenges them to allow God to continue to work in them. In verses 12 and 13, Paul expressed that he does not even consider himself to have already become perfect or to have laid hold of the prize at the end of the race. But as a challenge, he says, Therefore, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. But if anything, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal it to you also. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Now, when he's saying perfect here, we're not talking about final sanctification and the glory of us. He's talking about spiritual maturity. And wherever you might consider yourself, wherever you might consider yourself in this, perfect or imperfect, spiritually mature or immature, let God reveal in you a different attitude so that we might keep living by the same standard by which we have attained. As such, as we pursue Christ, seeking to know Christ and valuing Christ's purpose in our lives, know that His purpose is for our good. Ask yourself, if you're in a time of blessing right now, things seem to be going your way, I want you to know that God wants to use this time to allow you to know Him more. Because the blessing didn't come from your own work as giftings that we create for ourselves. And so we need to praise the giver of good gifts and seek to know Him more. To pursue Christ above all things. Going full steam ahead because for this window of time, God's removed the obstacles that are between you and knowing Him more. But we must also know that when those obstacles return, as you're walking in a trial, even if you feel like you're in long suffering and that it will never end, He calls us to have this attitude as well, that we would value Christ's purpose in a time of growth. Because should we suffer for doing what is right, as you patiently endure endure the trial, know that this attitude brings glory to God. It brings His favor. And that's our purpose in Christ. And so as an action step to help us in pursuing Christ above all, I want to call you, all of us, not just fathers, to take one night this week. And then I want you to spend some time on this verse that's up on the screen. I want, to pray, I want you to pray and ask God to reveal. Is my attitude one like Paul that recognizes that I'm not there yet and I need Christ? If I have a different attitude... What is it that I'm pursuing more than I'm pursuing Christ? And then I want you to sit and as you're praying to God, write a list. Write a list of the things that you're pursuing and ask God to help you see what are you wanting in these things? And are they an obstacle between you and Christ? And then for each item, take the next step as well and write down one thing you can do, an action step to change your attitude that would allow you to desire Christ more than what was on that paper. And then if you really want to take it to the next step, share your list with somebody. Share your list with somebody who can help to hold you accountable 
and then maybe they'll give you theirs too. You see, as we've sought to understand God's salvation plan, and as we choose to pursue Christ above all, there is a third step that we can take, a third action. We are called to be an example to family and others. And so as we move to this third step in growing the fruit of godliness, we also begin to find ways that godliness, we need to find ways that godliness is lived out in our lives. So that as we choose to be an example to family and to friends, we must know that they will be watching. It's not just about our words. It's about our actions. They will be watching. They will see. And what do they see? They see your personal theology. What do you believe about Christ? They also see your practical theology. How does what you believe about life align with how you act? And then they're going to compare those two. Well, with the example of Paul, we see that it took, the, it took Paul's I mean, conversion on the road to Damascus for Jesus who transformed Paul, bringing his personal theology and his practical theology and bringing them in line. Let's look at what he believed about himself before that. He had said, whatever things were gained to me. The things he used to find were gained were his heritage, his reputation, his past actions. But then he said, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In humility, Paul chose to be an example of exalting Christ over boasting in himself, and as such, he also calls us to do the same. In truth, Paul calls us to follow his example as he sought to imitate Christ in all areas of his life. And so in humility, we're called to be an imitator of Paul, imitating Christ. In humility, Paul calls us to set aside our own desires, our own preferences, and choose to have this attitude of Christ. Ask yourself, Who am I putting first in my life? You see, earlier in Philippians, Paul had pointed to this attitude, which should also be an example, when he said, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Our example before others begins by considering how do we see others. At work, when we see others, do we just say, it's my way or the highway? At home, over the dinner table, do you drive the discussion to force others to come into agreement with what you're thinking? And any other thoughts just simply get squashed? Or what about when you're not getting treated the way you want to be treated? What about when they put pickles on your sandwich, when you actually asked for no pickles? Do you make sure that everyone around you knows how poor the customer service was and this place needs to be put out of service because they put pickles on your sandwich? Are you considering others as more important than yourselves? Who am I putting first? In those situations, Paul had told us, be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. And dads, dads, when you see your children acting selfish and prideful, consider, what's the example that they're following? Who are they watching? 
who are they imitating? It wouldn't shock us. It should not shock us that we'll always be an example to our own children. So the question becomes, fathers, what type of an example do you want to be? Let's go back to that token again. Here's another reason why I ask you to carry it in your pocket. Because on the front, with the faith logo, where it says, a father's challenge, it reminds us of God's calling to bring them up in the Lord. And it points us back to Ephesians 6.4. Ephesians 6.4 that tells us to instruct your children in godliness, saying, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We have to live a life of example, not one that says, do as I say, not as I do. And if we read this verse and we go, yeah, I'm okay there. I don't ever see myself really provoking my children, but my son, my daughter, she's just angry. And I don't get it. I don't understand why. Yes, our children are responsible for their own actions, but... If we are to instruct our children, the question is, are we making it easier for them to follow the instructions of the Lord? You might say, I don't provoke my kids. Well, in counseling, I've used a a list from Lou Priolo's book called The Heart of Anger. It lists 25 different ways that we might provoke our children. I haven't met anyone yet when I give them that list that they don't circle at least three or more including myself. We all have ways to grow in that. And so consider, how can your example of imitating Christ help your children to receive the instruction in the Lord? And then consider, whose knowledge and wisdom do you share with them? Fathers, are you just giving them your wisdom? Or are you instructing them in the Lord? Because he said, these things which you have heard from me in the presence of many wisdom and trust them to faithful men who will be able to teach them to others. Fathers, we're supposed to be those men that would teach it to others. And so now, as we approach the end of our time together this Father's Day, there are still a couple of things in Paul's example that we need to take note of. Because, like Paul, we also can all become spiritual fathers. But as such, we have to cultivate a heart for the lost. That comes from having the attitude like Paul, who is brokenhearted to know that his brothers remain lost. As he said, for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Who do you know that's relying on their own strength? Who is denying their own need for Christ? or is simply unaware of their need. We are all called, like Paul, to have a heart for the lost, a heart to share the gospel, a heart to share Christ's purpose in our lives. And then, as we make every effort to add to our saving faith godliness, every effort to add godliness, a godliness that establishes a proper view of God's salvation plan, every effort to bring Christ's purpose into our lives, that we would pursue Him above all else in every effort to be an example of our family, to our family, to our friends, so they might know Christ. Every day while we make this effort, the last action that we have to take is we have to open our eyes 
We have to ask ourselves, who in your life do you need to be an example like Paul, broken for the lost, that you might share the good news of Jesus Christ, the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And then step out, trusting that God will give you the words. And as we make this effort, we have the hope of fruitful service, hope for everyday life, because we have a promise of something far greater, something far greater than what we have today. And as such, as we walk, fathers, as we walk all of us, we can also patiently wait for the Lord. Why? Because we wait for our citizenship in heaven, which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform this body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Our ultimate hope for everyday life, our hope for fruitful service comes because we know that He is returning. And that's news that on Father's Day we need to be sharing with everybody that we can. Folks, pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we come to You today. Lord, so grateful that we can call You Father. Lord, that You would love us in ways beyond our understanding. Lord, we also thank You that You've given us the examples of fathers in our lives. Lord, whether they are our father by birth or other men in our lives who are helping us to grow to know You more. Lord, help us to walk today in a way that grows and adds godliness to our character. Lord, that we would know Your salvation plan in a way that allows us to share it with others. Lord, that they w- we would choose to pursue You above all other things in our lives. Lord, that we might be an example to others so that they, when they see us, that others would not see this world, but they would see Your Son. Father, we love You and we praise You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.